On this edition of the Table of Content, we are joined by Dale Alquist, the president of the Society of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. We'll talk with Dale about what he does and a little bit or a lot about G.K. Chesterton. Stay tuned. That's coming up next right here on the Table of Content. Thanks so much for joining us for this edition of the Table of Content. I am your host, Albert Sines, and we are joined today by Dale Alquist. Dale, thanks so much for being with us. You're welcome, Albert. A great pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So, Dale, uh, I like to always give our audience, our listeners, a chance to get to know who we're talking to. And I don't know if you're personal biography is extensive, but maybe you can give a brief synopsis of who you are and what you do. Well, I run the uh, Chesterton Society, uh, which is based out of the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Uh, It's been uh, an organization that's been in existence for 25 years, and uh, we publish a magazine, Gilbert Magazine. I've written five books on G.K. Chesterton, And also, I run what's called the Chesterton Schools Network. I started a uh, classical Catholic academy some 12 years ago here, and it has now become uh, a model for classical high schools used around the country. It's called the Chesterton Academies, and there's over 30 of these schools now in existence. So I'm involved with classical education, as well as uh, Chesterton Scholarship and a lot of evangelization along the way. Now, just for some clarification, when you say classical high school, that's sort of like the high school equivalent of like a Montessori-based education, right? Um, I would say there's a a distinction between a classical education and a Montessori education, but it's uh, certainly of, of... a, a similar fabric. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. Just for anyone out there who kind of is thinking, well, what does he mean by classical high school education? Oh, okay, sure. Um, now, here's my here's my big question. You've got a lot of Chesterton titles, uh, I'll say, but why why Chesterton? Why choose to be so involved with the man known as G.K. Chesterton? Well, I started uh, reading Chesterton almost 40 years ago, and it became a passion because uh, when I discovered him, I found him to be one of the greatest writers that I'd ever encountered, certainly a deep thinker, uh, a wide-ranging writer, but also witty and joyful and artistic, really the complete package, the complete thinker. And uh, I was amazed by how no one knew about him. He was certainly one of the most famous writers of his time, and it sort of became a passion then to uh, get people introduced to this uh, unfortunately forgotten writer. Now, because he wrote about everything, my interests have also you know, extended to everything, so that if it's about art or politics or theology or philosophy or theology— Chesterton had a perspective on it and a very complete one. And so that's why Chesterton, one of the greatest thinkers and greatest writers of the 20th century and someone who I make it a point to introduce everyone to. 
Do do you feel after spending so much time of your life reading him and also sort of promoting him, do do you feel like your attachment to him is very sort of almost personal, even though your life comes much later after his? I, you certainly become friends with a with a writer uh, that you uh, that you study deeply, and and they become very alive for you, and uh, they they are very much a personal companion. You know, when I read Chesterton, I let him read me. Sure, sure, yeah. I I I would like to imagine there are many people who would love to actually be able to sit down and, you know, have a have a talk with Chesterton in today's age if they could. But I think since he was so prolific, it seems, in his writings, his thoughts, his commentaries, you can you can achieve just about the same thing. You can almost kind of predict what it is he would say on any particular issue of the day that we have today versus what he had when he was alive. That's very true, Albert. He he's very timely because I think he's there's something prophetic about his writing. But you you make a very good point because he was so prolific. He did write about everything, so it's not too hard to figure out. Well, what would Chesterton have said about this? We can generally get the answer to that question, and it's always delightful and usually right on the nose. Well, you know, I appreciate on the website uh, for the Society how you have his quotes broken down into this plethora of, you know, different topics, you know, culture, art, religion, faith, marriage, you know, it's like, well, let's see, what am I looking for? You know, just, just pick one and it'll be there. Yes. And, you know, we, we keep meaning to update our, our quote selection on the website because we, we keep gathering a large collection that even would encompass more subjects. Well, you know, I, I, I had to, I had to go pick, pick a, a, I had to go pick one quote. I had to go look for something. And this one is, I'm sure, one of his more popular ones, but I needed something just to throw out there so that people could know how quotable he is. And maybe they've heard a quote from Chesterton, but it's never been acknowledged that it was by him. And uh, there's the one under religion and faith saying that uh, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. That's a very masterful and very typical great Chesterton quote that, uh, you know, you hear a quote like that, you realize it's indisputably true. It is. It is. Absolutely so. Absolutely. Um, So, but, you know, we we, we could take a a whole program on just going over quotes, but we want to continue to give more breath to his life than just his quotable moments. Um, Now, I... I'm curious, you wrote this great sort of introductory piece, I'll call it, and you asked this great question on the website, you know, who is this guy? And I'm more interested really a bit in the question of how is it that we can even, that we even have to ask that question, uh, you know, because we, we can give a good synopsis of his life, but why is it, and, and you do go on to answer this question, but if you can retell it for our listeners, why is it that we even have to ask the question, who is G.K. Chesterton? It is astonishing. In fact, the, the, the title of the article used to be, who is this guy and why haven't I heard of him? <laughs> um, and uh, for some reason, our uh, web designer took, took the second part of the question off there because that, that is the funny, the funny line. 
Uh, here is someone who is uh, a major, major literary figure, world, world renowned, known all, known everywhere. He's been translated, you know, into dozens of languages. So he's well known in many, many countries, many places, and in many genres. He wrote, uh, you know, a hundred books. He wrote thousands of poems. He, he wrote uh, plays, and he also wrote some very famous detective stories, the Father Brown mysteries. Right, right. And uh, and yeah, and yet you say G.K. Chesterton, and people say, who? Who's that? And so I'll tell you my my three theories of why, why he just fell off the face of the earth, why he went into an eclipse. Um, three Three different theories, and all of, all of them are perfectly correct. Uh, <laughs> um, one is the fact that um, there's, a, there's an institution who's in charge of, uh, of teaching these things. It's called uh, our school system. And uh, their, their job is to, is to pass the, uh, the great thinkers and writers of one generation to the next generation. And people are entitled and expected to learn about these these writers and these these great contributors to culture and uh, someone has dropped the ball in actually teaching them so that's the one of the main reasons why you know the last two generations haven't heard of him he, he died in 1936 at the same time Chesterton you know was very much a uh, a, a jack of all trades he wrote in all these different genres and. Our institutions can't handle someone who doesn't fit neatly into one department. Uh, if he had only written poems and literature, he could at least be taught in the literature department. And but because his his stories and his poems and his novels are only you know one fraction of what he wrote, and even they are are philosophical in nature. They keep spilling out into other departments, um, and you know he does write about philosophy. He does write about theology, but not in the classic sense, but in in a unique and uh, uh, fresh angle that is just unexpected. So he he just doesn't fit into any category in any department. And so that's another reason he's fall, he's sort of fallen through the cracks. That's that's the, the the second reason. But then the third one. Is is I think the most surprising one of all, but it's it's actually makes sense. Chesterton, his books are uh, a huge part of his writing, but actually only represent a fraction of his writing. The reason people knew him so well during his lifetime was that he was a journalist and a public speaker, and uh, and so they read his. They usually read him in the newspaper. That's where they were expecting to see the great Chesterton quotations, and that's why he was a household name because. Here's what Chesterton said today. And uh, when he died in 1936, Albert, he stopped writing. <laughs> right, of course. And uh, that's, what, that's really what most people stopped reading him was because his books were just a, you know, really a, a secondary aspect of, of his career. He was primarily a journalist, and the way people knew it was through the Daily Paper. So... How is it though that I, I'm 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 digging a little bit just to sort of be facetious as they say. So how so how is it that someone though who wrote 
so much can just sort of be dropped at upon his death in 1936 because, of course, he came out of stuff like weekly journals and newspapers and magazines. But yet we have writers much older than uh, Chesterton himself, and they, they, you know, they stopped writing after they passed on to the next life. You know, I mean, to, you know, it was, okay, their life is over. Uh, but yet we still, well, people know who that author is. People know who wrote that book. People have heard about him or her. Uh, where, where, where's the difference? Yeah, I think I think part of it is um, there was this this break in the middle of the 20th century with uh, with World War II and the, the Holocaust and the darkness that descended upon the face of the earth, and that's that's where he immediately went into eclipse because. Uh, people, I, I think, for a while were not ready for the joyful message of G.K. Chesterton, his message of hope, uh, and and someone who really talked about the deeper meaning of things um, in a philosophy that was more traditional and less avant-garde and less uh, depressing and less existential, and he, he, his 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 uh, philosophy was not welcomed um, mm-hmm. in the academic circles. And when you get shut out of the academic circles, um, you, you know, that's when you're, that's when the whole generation isn't going to hear about you anymore. Um, sure, sure. And so that's, that's really what happened there. They, when they stopped teaching him and when people stopped reading him on a popular basis, but they, when they did not teach him in, in the schools, in the colleges and universities and, and high schools, uh, that's when people forgot about him. But what's happened is he's made this revival uh, outside of academia, and and so the, he, he continues to to gain a large following and for a new generation. But there's very few schools that are teaching him. And he's starting to kind of ease back in, and they're they're starting to to rediscover his writings. But it it's happening from the ground up and not from the top down. Well, that's good to hear. It's good to hear that there are small movements for the large man that was Chesterton, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, to help bring him back in to, into the education system, even into society in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can admit, I, I can admit, I have only become more familiar with Chesterton in this latter part of my life. My first introduction to Chesterton, I was in my uh, early 20s, uh, and there was a small Catholic liberal arts college in the city where I grew up, and we were making friends there. So we got invited to go over for a play by this guy named G.K. Chesterton entitled Magic. And uh, I was like, I, I don't know who this guy, I don't, I've never heard of this, you know, so I was completely oblivious, but we went and, you know, they, they did their, they did their best and they put on this fun play. Then that was it. You know, there was no more Chesterton again in my life. That was it. And then here I am now on the, the breath of my 40th year. And, uh, in the past sort of five years, I've started to hear more about Chesterton and been more interested in Chesterton, if merely from the standpoint that he has such wit, and I appreciate a man with good wit. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot more to this man than a random play that I heard in my early 20s and then just sort of let it go. So I, I can appreciate the fact that the world is sort of sorely lacking in more Chesterton, but glad to hear that he is coming back. 
Yeah, when I started reading him, Albert, uh, like I said, about 40 years ago, there were probably six of his books were in print at that point. Um, and now there's over 70 of his books are back in print. So there's one gauge to, uh, to, 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 to measure his, his growing popularity again. That's great. That's great. Uh, so let, let's let's do this. Let's you know at uh, at the We Are One Body Audio Theater, we've we've uh, we're big fans of Chesterton, and we've recorded uh, several of his writings, and also some of the writings of his wife Frances Chesterton. And given that we are in this Advent season, um, coming up onto the Christmas season, I'd like to try to talk just a little bit here on the latter part of this show uh, about one of those poems, uh, the Wise Men. Uh, so we're not going to have time to necessarily kind of read through the poem, but uh, I'm interested really in kind of his take, and we'll call it on the wise men, because you know the first the, in the first set, you know the first set of stanzas of the poem, you you kind of get this sense of it doesn't really sound like he's talking about the wise men as we know them, right? Because scripture is sort of vague about them. You have the wise men who came from the East. And of course, we're all familiar with, with, with the song, you know, oh, three, you know, three kings from Bethlehem. And, but uh, he really sort of puts them in a different light, sort of really like a almost perilous journey, this really important search. Uh, I was wondering if you can try to sort of give some more explanation behind that poem. Well, Chesterton certainly loved Christmas, and uh, so he, he, he takes, you know, every aspect of it and explores it creatively and imaginatively uh, at some opportunity. But to take on the three wise men who are so rich in uh, in potential meaning, cause, because we know so little about them, that's, that's what's so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can do lots of different things with them. But he, you know, puts, puts himself... In in their shoes, as it were, and yet uh, their journey to uh, to find Christ, to find the truth, is is a journey that we're all taking. He so he puts us all in that same journey, and even though it it seems to be starting to take place in an ancient setting, it also seems to be taking place in a contemporary setting. You know, amid the snow and the rain. And we are trying to find our way. Our way is plain, but it's so plain that we could lose it. We could lose our way. And he, he says, we know all labyrinthine lore, which what a, what a great adjective that one is. Labyrinthine, you know, the, the, the lore, the stories that, that are about the, the twisting search through a puzzle, through a maze, uh, you know, looking for the center of the of the maze and looking for the goal, but then he says, "We are um, uh, we are the three wise men of yore, and we know all things but the truth." That's a great, great line. That's <laughs> a great line. Yeah. So, so that that is where you know, it's the accumulation of knowledge w- without having uh, w- woven together the what all that knowledge means and, and finding the, the, the ultimate meaning in all that knowledge. And so, so then the, the poem just starts to, uh, to lay out the rest of the journey. And uh, it's a combination of, of physical obstacles and psychological and philosophical obstacles as well. Uh, you know, he, he, 
they're going through the snow and the hail, but they're also uh, going through uh, uh, the, the darkness uh, and madness of uh, of unmeaning. And and uh, you know, uh, the gods of violence took the veil of vision and philosophy. The serpent that brought all men bail, he bites his own accursed tail and calls himself eternity. Uh, that's that's a reference to um, the the madness of an Eastern philosophy that is uh, completely circular, completely returning upon itself, and he he equates that with with the serpent of the garden who uh, bites his own tail, and uh, you know just has creates a mad circle with with no breaking out and no uh, no ultimate arrival uh, anything. And, and then, of course, you're, you're, they're looking for a child, uh, the child that was there before the worlds began, and uh, and the, the child that played with moon and sun is playing with a little hay. It's a great Chesterton paradox, a great juxtaposition that the idea that the creator of the earth and heavens, the creator of the moon and sun, is suddenly a baby in a manger playing with, with hay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like that. I'm going to jump in. I like that because it's not until the very end, the second to last, uh, so, so the third to last line, where he actually says, God, every reference before that is the child, the, you know, the child, the child, you know, and so to put in our minds, God only as a child, uh, not to take away from the great creator God, but to help us sort of bring God into that childlikeness that is emphasized kind of in scripture by 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 the child in his public ministry. Um, I, I really appreciated that just to sort of take away for just a little bit from God, you know, and say, okay, this is just the child, but yet to sort of keep the, the connection. I, I appreciated that. And uh, then there's these these homey images at the same time because here here are these exotic uh, personages, the, the three wise men who are also known as the three kings. Uh, they have you know uh, exotic uh, resumes, as it were, and and they're finding their way to a barn, to a stable. But it says the the house from which the heavens are fed. That the old strange house that is our own, so it it ends with uh, there's a sort of homecoming. Uh, the paradox being you're coming home to a place you've never been before, um, and, and and finding finding this comfort and and hominess uh, that is still strange. Uh, Chesterton, it's a, it's a theme he plays over and over again: the strangeness of one's home. Uh, even though you're, it's, it's a place where you're welcomed and comfortable, but you also find it uh, a place of wonder and, and yes, strangeness. Uh, and of course, the way it, uh, it, 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 it you you are moving in a humble way, uh, but also uh, it ends with, of course, the great victory uh, and the great joy. As it, the last verse is, "Hark." Laughter like a lion wakes to roar to the resounding plain. That's a. It's it's hard to even bring such images into words. Uh, the idea of uh, of this breaking forth 
and of uh, after all the the pain and the rain, there's laughter and light breaking forth, and the whole heaven shouts and shakes, for God Himself is born again, uh, and you know that would be a good ending right there. But Chesterton does one more thing with the last two lines of the poem, which I think is is the great coup of the whole thing. It says, and we are little children walking through the snow and rain. So it starts with these wise men who are on the search. It ends with us being children uh, ourselves. Uh, and, and there's something glorious and innocent. And, uh, you know, we, we the, 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 go- the fulfillment of the gospel, unless you become like a little child, mm-hmm. you don't enter the kingdom of heaven. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, what well, I just it, it is it is such a beautiful poem and it is very rich in its sort of explanation of the three wise men, but it comes back luckily thanks to Chesterton's I'll say brilliance, uh, it comes back to us trying yeah. to sort of emphasize what we need to do ourselves, which is become childlike ourselves. Well, Dale, um is there anything, like, if you were going to, you know, as we wrap up here, if you were going to try to make a shout-out for Chesterton, sort of like, you know, hey, world, you know, wake up and smell the Chesterton, you know, <laughs> what, 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 what would you tell? What would you say? Well, to, to, you know, to, to take off from our last uh, thought there, uh, we'd become like a child. Chesterton had a childlike wonder at the universe and at the world and at everyone around him. And that was what made him so charming and likable. Uh, pe- people really enjoyed being in his presence. He, he was, uh, I called him an overgrown elf. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so there's, there's this sense of goodness and innocence uh, that is also balanced by uh, a deep and piercing wisdom. And that's the, that's the combination really that we all are all seeking to achieve that, uh, we want to be smart about things, but we don't want to be snarky. <laughs> and uh, we want to be um, innocent about things without being naive. Uh, and, and Chesterton combines wisdom and innocence in, in uh, a, a marvelous model that uh, I think we can all learn something from. If people want to learn more about Chesterton, Albert, I certainly invite them to, to take a look at our website at chesterton.org and I've written a number of books that are, are helpful introductions to his writing because he is a lot to get a hold of because he was so prolific. But I, I recommend my book, The Apostle of Common Sense, or also uh, uh, Chesterton 101, Common Sense 101, Lessons from Chesterton. So those are good ways to keep exploring this, this uh, really astounding gift to uh, human thinking and human literature. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard Dale say it himself. If you'd like to learn more about Chesterton, a great place to start is their website at chesterton.org. If you would like to hear a recording of the poem that Dale and I talked about, The Wise Men, head over to our website at waobaudiotheater.org and look look under the poetry patch, one of our programs, for The Wise Men. Uh, Dale, thanks so much for being with us on this episode of The Table of Content. Well, it was a great season to do it. A very Chestertonian to be celebrating Advent and Christmas together. 
Yes, I am sure that Chesterton will be looking down upon us with great joy that we took up some time to talk about him uh, during this uh, upcoming, this current Advent season and the coming Christmas. So thank you so much for taking some time. A great blessing for me. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, so glad to have you on board for this episode of The Table of Content. Uh, We hope that you will have a very blessed Advent, a very Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. Until the next episode, be good, stay safe, peace. Peace.